This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Jenny Wilson, Salt Lake City Council member and Democratic nominee for the United States Senate in Utah. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So Jenny, you're going up against former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney in less than a month. He's widely expected to win by a large margin. Why is the conventional wisdom wrong? What gives you a real chance to pull off an upset? Well, I'll tell you this. We're out walking every evening. We're calling people. We're working on our persuadable universe. And we know that we're having a really great response with young people and Democrats. And we just feel the energy. We're feeling really confident going in. And what are the issues you're prioritizing? What are you hearing when you walk around your state and talk to people? Well, people are talking about the division in Washington. And we live in a, you know, I believe it's a purple state, not a red state. So we have a lot of people saying, look, we want people to work across party lines. Additionally, I live in a pretty populated area. I represent 1.1 million people in an area known as Salt Lake County. It's where the Olympic Games were held. And additionally, uh, We have a very diversified economy. It's the heart of our community with our uh, state capital. And uh, you get beyond, though, this populated area. And people need jobs in this state. Uh, Wages aren't as high as you'd think. There are a lot of people, even in, uh, you know, perceived to be expansion economy, uh, that are really being left behind. And that's what I hear on the doorsteps. So this year, there are some pretty significant ballot measures that people will be voting on along with the Senate race. Could you tell us about those and what your positions on them are? Absolutely. I mean, I think the citizens finally got tired of our very Republican-dominated legislature doing nothing and said we want action on a few things. So our first proposition is actually guidance to the legislature. It's not binding. It's a ballot question asking if we'd like a little bit of a higher gas tax to support education. And we are uh, lowest in the nation for cost per pupil because we have so many kids. And we do pretty well at um, our, our test scores and what have you, but we know that teachers aren't paid well enough. We know that uh, classes are very crowded in this state. So I support uh, the first initiative, the first proposition. And then number two is medical cannabis. Uh, We've just had the legislature meet to say, wait a minute, we want to come up with a deal. They met with the LDS church and others to say, we can um, come up with a deal. We don't need to pass this thing. And I say, okay, it did address a few of maybe some of the biggest concerns, but uh, I think we still support too. We need medical cannabis in our community. A lot of families and people uh, would benefit from it. So I'm firmly in favor, even though this inside deal was struck, that we would support it and vote yes. And then our third proposition is Medicaid expansion. I have been a long time 
leader in the local community calling for Medicaid expansion. We have not had a full expansion. We have a very, very minimal expansion in this state that we needed a waiver for. And we've turned away $1.5 billion to other communities. And it's time our legislature listened to the people and we actually become an expansion state. So I'm yes on that. And then the last one is a redistricting initiative. Our state legislature actually controls redistricting. So this would be a, an empowered commission that would guide our legislature with real solutions for redistricting. And I firmly believe that people should pick their, their um, electeds and that elected should not pick their constituents. And we've seen just some egregious boundaries in this state. So uh, by chance, I think it's maybe, maybe not by chance, it's because the people stood up this time and said enough is enough. So I'm yes on all four. And where does your opponent stand on them? So Mitt Romney um, has said yes on the first one. So I guess we agree on that one. Although he and I actually both have some concerns about the gas tax being the primary mechanism. Uh, It needs to be indexed for rural Utah. So that's probably one that we would agree on. Um, he is. He and I do not agree on the medical marijuana initiative. He, he's uh, said vote no. Uh, he does not agree to a Medicaid expansion. He said no, and he said no on the redistricting commission. So uh, we're generally not on the same page on these initiatives. So a few months back, I spoke with another Democrat in your state, James Singer, about Mitt Romney, specifically about Romney's image as a moderate, which James told me doesn't really hold up if you look at his actual policies. I'm curious as to what your perspective on this is. You know, Romney's ideology or where he stands on things is just not known. In the debate that I, and I've had only one debate with him, I challenged him to additional debates, have asked and expected that we would meet up. Uh, He agreed to the Utah-sponsored debate commission debate, which was one televised hour. And that's the only time I've seen him on this campaign. So I will say at the debate, I asked him, you know, which Mitt Romney are you? Let's play multiple choice Mitt. Answer A is the guy who was running against Ted Kennedy years ago. Answer B is he went back to Massachusetts, still pretty progressive, pretty liberal, supported an assault weapon ban, um, firmly... um, in favor of a woman's right to choose. Um, Answer C was when he went off in his presidential race and, um, you know, he changed his position so dramatically on a couple of issues that many of us were just wondering what was going on. We now have a different answer as he comes back to Utah. So we just don't know. And I'll say this, the question I wanted to ask in the debate was, are you the guy who called the president a phony and a fraud during the campaign? Or are you the guy that had a fancy dinner with him in New York and then um, wanted a a job? And then um, not, you know, within a week or two, perhaps, upon Romney's entrance into the race, uh, the president endorsed him, but he would not uh, return the endorsement back. So we don't know where he's going to land on Trump. My sense is he's pretty conservative and out of step with many Utahns. 
And how would you imagine yourself interacting with the executive branch? Obviously, in the upper chamber, you have a lot of sway. What would you do to ensure that Congress truly is a co-equal branch of government? Well, I believe in 2019, we are going to see change. Uh, Perhaps uh, the Democrats will take over the House and they'll be in a better position to hold this president accountable. And really... uh, I I think one of the challenges right now is we're on pause with this president. There's no uh, policy being moved forward that benefits the country. Uh, We were uh, doing, we were moving backwards with many of the initiatives that had unfolded, you know, six months prior to now. The tax bill uh, that was devastating uh, its passage, and we're seeing the economic impact of that now. We uh, saw an attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and luckily John McCain took, had a very um, important and final courageous act in government, uh, in his government, before he sadly passed away. So I think it just depends really on where we are in 19. I hope we're finally able to move forward. I don't believe we will. I think until we have a different president in the White House, we're stuck. So I would go in working to advance Utah issues, trying to build relationships, trying to build a stronger Western coalition. And frankly, I sort of believe that uh, my best voice would be working within um, the Senate itself and working towards forming those relationships to move things, knowing that it may be some time before we can get back to government acting in an appropriate way again. And how would you imagine yourself handling cabinet and judicial nominations, given who we have seen nominated? in the past two years? Well, I think there probably are some people, Nikki Haley being one of them, that was working and doing the right thing for the country. So I don't think any nominee would be dead on arrival to me, but I think we have seen several of the president's appointees, his initial appointees, and then, of course, we've seen more turnover uh, than any time in recent memory. And, um, you know, it's a mixed bag. I think if there are committed Americans who happen to be from the other party, uh, I'm a Democrat, of course, he's going to be nominating Republicans. I think there might be some people that understand that this is a critical time in our country and they want to move the nation forward. I would, of course, support those people looking at the their resume. Uh, what I really fear is that the, the president doesn't have respect for anybody, um, let alone uh, Congress, certainly not his own people. So I think we are sort of in a, in a position right now to, to fight for um, reason. And again, I just believe until we have some change, we're stuck. We have this division. We need to heal. And I don't place every... Um, all of the angst and the bitterness by the two parties completely in the hands of our current president, but he certainly isn't making things better. And I think this Congress is so quick to apologize for him, pass um, initiatives that he's moving, not challenge him. Um, Congress could have done a better job on trade to step up and invoke its authority that's granted through Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution. Um, and really bring about um, some legitimate uh, check and balances in the system. So I really believe that there's a lot to be done, 
and the people within the White House and the administration who hunker down every day, many of them merit employees who have been there some time, good federal um, people committed to their jobs, that there is a way that we can at least hold steady um, and, uh, you know, marginalize this president to a certain degree by the power of this nation and the people who are serving and good people in the Senate. I believe there are good Republicans in the Senate still. I do believe the institutions become an all boys club, but that doesn't mean there aren't people that really have their constituents' best interests at heart. So let's find the, a way that we can align um, the people willing to, to change government, make it better. That's what we need to do in this age. So speaking of the all boys club, I think that was very visible during the confirmation hearing for Brett Kavanaugh, really the entire process. What are your thoughts on Brett Kavanaugh and how the confirmation was handled by the Senate? Well, I found the process heartbreaking and we clearly could have done better. I would have been a no vote. You know, I had concerns about Kavanaugh. I was watching, trying to get a better sense of his judicial record when the hearings began. And there was an action that bothered me initially that didn't have anything to do with um, the, you know, the allegations that came about later. And that was when a citizen stepped up, it happened to be a, a family member of somebody who had tragically died with the shooting, stepped up, tried to shake his hand, and he rebuffed him. And that, to me, was a visual cue that's, I think, very key. I, I want our um, U.S. Supreme Court justices to have a heart and a soul and understand the plight of every American in this nation and have a compassion towards that. And so it's interesting. I, I was, I, that was a telling moment to me. And then when uh, we heard the very painful account that was so, so carefully shared with such heart and um, true commitment as an American by Dr. Blasey Ford to come forward, I really, it really resonated with me very much. In my state, we have one in three women who are victims of sexual assault, and sadly, one in nine have been raped. So when a woman steps forward with a very personal account, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I feel like there was... Um, a, a, a very painful process that was mismanaged and rushed a full FBI investigation um, in a less political way with so, the limited parameters of that investigation still concern me. And I think it's time that um, senators on both sides of the aisle step up and decide how we're going to act in a more appropriate way going forward, because I fear I am not pleased about the fact he was seated on the court and I fear, you know, the next step and who might be the next appointee. And I think that we can do better. And do you support a full, fair investigation into Dr. Ford's story and Kavanaugh's past that is unlike the FBI investigation, not limited by the executive? Well, I think that... Um, there are checks and balances in place that exist now, and I would imagine the media is one of them. And I think and we can revisit with a new Congress, perhaps. But my sense is um, we we are in a position uh, that we're stuck. I don't know that we ha would have the political 
agreement to enact such an investigation. So my sense is that there are um, media outlets and people out there and maybe others um, who would willingly step forward and speak to the media and perhaps a, a, a more um, that 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 being the forum could indeed bring a, about additional information. Do you think there is anything that could be done with any additional information to hold Kavanaugh accountable? I think it remains to be seen, depending on what, um, you know, one of the concerns clearly was um, the fact that there may have been um, untruths told when he was questioned about um, his past. And, you know, I don't um, have a as deep an understanding of many who have investigated this more in depth to know how deep some of the concerns could or would be. So it's a little preliminary for me to comment further, I think. And regardless of Kavanaugh as an individual, if any judicial nominee did perjure themselves in a hearing and was confirmed, do you think impeachment would be an appropriate uh, response. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets to the legal definition of perjury. And um, I think true. Yeah, I mean, if it falls within the parameters of perjury, I think that's a reasonable next step. And are you concerned that given the rightward shift on the Supreme Court, that Democrats would struggle to have any significant legislation, uh, whether it be healthcare or immigration, upheld and see it struck down in the Supreme Court? Well, I certainly do have concerns about um, the fact that we have the court and its current composition. I want a court in our nation to represent the spirit of America. And you look at certain key issues and uh, we do. It's it's fairly clear that this court is um, much more conservative than um, most of our nation. So that's a concern to me. I think there are a lot of what ifs that will play out, and I certainly don't have that crystal ball to see uh, what what a Congress could move forward, and then what may or may not be signed into law. And what I just have a hope that we are going to bring in and elect a new generation of leaders who are willing to take a different approach, that are willing to put the benefit back in the hands of working Americans, of Utah families, of families in Nebraska, of farmers, of small farmers, that we can get corporate influence out of government. And that phrase rolls off my tongue quite nicely when it hasn't in the past. When I have now stepped forward as a federal candidate, I look at the egregious amount of influence within our system. Uh, You know, as a local official, I wasn't maybe as in tune with how directly uh, our companies and lobbyists are influencing outcomes within our federal system. Now that I've been a candidate for this office, I have very deep concerns. And in fact, I look forward to working on a reform agenda when I'm elected, because I think until we um, can change Washington, again, we're stuck and um, we are very much in need of reform. And what should that reform look like? Well, I think we need a nationwide move to repeal Citizens United. We can certainly make change um, to our election system, put in limits. Um, but until, you know, imagine we were able to get public financing through and find a way 
where a limited amount of federal dollars could be appropriated in the right way to viable candidates, uh, putting a ceiling on giving, um, further restrictions on access, more disclosure. Those are all great things that I support. But I think it's time we... um, roll out a pretty aggressive repeal of Citizens United. I think that the dark money in politics um, needs to be reined in, and that's going to take a constitutional amendment. And I think it's a bipartisan issue. I'll tell you, it doesn't matter if I have knocked on a Republican store or a Democrats, everyone agrees that we have far too much influence um, in our elections, and we need to change that. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government. And you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day, I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. What are you doing on the campaign trail, both in terms of strategy and policy, to engage millennials? Well, I can tell you this. I had, um, for, I was for so long the youngest woman in the room. I was always the youngest elected or one of the youngest chiefs of staff in on the Hill in the 90s when I worked for a congressman from Utah and was his chief of staff. And I'm now at you know, turning 53 before the election in a couple of weeks. And I'm not the youngest person in the room. And I can tell you the energy that emerged in the 2016 race and continues to be fired up right now is going to create a different framework in the future. I can tell you my 16-year-old son isn't sure he wants to identify with a party. What he wants is to feel secure and, and feel like he has a future. Uh, So what I've worked on understanding really the unique opportunity right now is I've I've tried to reach out directly and have conversations and better understand if my instincts are right, that housing costs are a concern and that healthcare access is a concern and that uh, tuition and access to college, uh, tuition payments after one leaves college are concerns. And indeed they are. So I've rolled out a youth agenda and I have engaged with students. I'm on a college tour. I'm finishing it up this week, going to a uh, to Utah State University, which is about 90 minutes from Salt Lake City and has an agricultural base and a, a general college. It's a great school, state school. And um, I've been able to roll this out and say, look, I want to be a champion in Washington, D.C. to come up with new lending options that 
don't allow predatory lending uh, by banks uh, to individuals who are paying off their loans. We can have a new division created even that uh, is similar to a nonprofit organization that lends at very low rates. Uh, We shouldn't have these massive endowment funds at universities that are just piling up where, where some of our larger universities are becoming banks in themselves. They should return much of those funds to tuition and support of students. You know, universities, many of them now sadly are focusing more on their sports teams, on their administration and building new buildings than giving our the next generation of leaders a good education. We need to do more with trade. We need to make trade schools accessible. We need to make sure that any student that um, has an interest in higher ed has a means to it. And that isn't always a traditional college, sometimes trade schools. And lastly, what can folks do to get involved in your campaign and where can they find you online? Knocking on doors. We have a full team calling right now. We are reaching out to voters that are in a position to still be persuaded. We know when they have an option and hear of me and my work in Utah, the fact that I'm a fifth generation uh, Utah that that resonates with people. And so um, we can put people to work. We're not a campaign that you come in and you hang out. You come in and you work and make new friends doing it. And we've, I couldn't tell you, uh, or I couldn't share that. Let me just say that in a different way. I could not be happier at the deep level of engagement that we have young people and older people coming together on Team Jenny. And I'm very, very thrilled about that. So our website is wilsonforsenate.com. We have a volunteer page. Uh, Reach out to us. We will gladly put you to work in these final days. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on to the podcast. We wish you the best of luck in the campaign. And hopefully we can get you on after November when you're a senator. That sounds amazing. I would love to talk to you as I transition in. Okay, awesome. Well, lastly, to our listeners, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8pm Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.